Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the Horror Lit Podcast. My name is Kevin. It is time yet again for another short shock, and we've got a kind of an interesting one for you today. Story that most people probably would not think of as horror. I have to believe that the author herself would probably uh, maybe kick my ass <laughs> to find that this story is being covered on a horror lit podcast. But it, to my mind, it perfectly encapsulates uh, just this creeping sense of dread and the ending is just wow chef's kiss delicious uh in a creepy way i i think it, it it really does stand as a as a wonderful horror story whether anybody else wants to believe it or not so we'll let's go ahead and we can jump into it and you can make that decision for yourself the story is the title story from the first collection of short stories by claire keegan entitled antarctica now those of you who have read any claire keegan stuff you're probably going to be right off the bat on the train of she is not a horror writer. And I couldn't agree more. She really, really isn't. She is more a uh, slice of life uh, kind of writer. And she is, in my opinion, one of the best writers working today. Uh, she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, so please do go read more of her stuff. Just know that uh, it probably won't be down the horror line, but the first story out of Antarctica titled Antarctica really is, it has this creepy bent to it that I just absolutely love. So let's go ahead and jump into it and see what you think. Now we start off with what I possibly think is one of my favorite first lines of any story or book or anything I've ever read. I'll, I'll read it for you verbatim. Every time the happily married woman went away, she wondered how it would feel to sleep with another man. I love, absolutely love that line. What a great, wonderful line to start the story with. The happily uh, married woman uh, wondering what it is to you know commit infidelity. And that's what the story really is about. She decides she's going on a business trip, quote unquote business trip. That's what she tells her husband and her children. And instead she goes to this town so that she can specifically find somebody uh, to sleep with, to cheat on her husband with. And that's who we are talking about right off the bat. Now, it's really interesting that Claire Keegan never names these characters. Uh, really, only two characters. There's the woman who is searching for a lover and the man who she eventually chooses, who she meets in this kind of skanky dive bar. Uh, she dresses up. She, there's, there's a lot of intentionality about how she goes about this. Uh, she knows exactly what she wants. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to do what she wants it to do. So she dresses up, she goes out to a bar, she looks as attractive as she can. And eventually she starts talking to this man who almost seems tailor-made for this kind of thing. He's wearing this gold chain inside of a Hawaiian print shirt. Uh, you know, he's, he's just this, he's the kind of guy that, uh, a happily married woman might pick up at a bar to cheat on her husband with. He's, he kind of fits the bill perfectly and they go through kind of the motions. Uh, they, they make a little bit of small talk. They buy each other a drink. Uh, he teaches her how to play pool, which is the most stereotypical <laughs> thing a guy can do to hit on a girl. Oh, no, no. Let me show you how to hold the cue. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> I mean, we, we understand what's going on. And of course, they uh, they go outside. 
are both kind of pleasantly drunk and they walking around and he says, come back to my place. I'll cook for you. And she's like, absolutely. That's kind of what I'm here to do. Uh, they go off and he lives in this kind of isolated house kind of out in the boonies and they, they walk there and they have dinner and she takes a bath while he's shaving. And you know, one thing leads to another. I don't really need to get into the weeds about this, but, uh, clearly that's what uh, she wants to have happen. And that's what he wants to have happen. And that's what they do. And it's, it's pretty much the perfect night for her, for what she wants to do. Uh, this is exactly what she's looking for. And she still has maybe another day or two before she needs to, you know, pack everything up and go back home. And until that time, she's going to spend it with this guy cheating on her husband. That's, that's what she wants to do. Now, when I said kind of, he lives out in the boonies, some of you out there may have kind of perked up the eyebrow and said, Oh, Okay, red flag. <laughs> yes, that's the most wonderful part of this story is that so many tiny red flags start to pop up and eventually those red flags get bigger and more frequent and by the end of the story you're you're almost shrieking at the page what in the holy hell are you doing why are you still in this situation but Keegan She's just such a goddamn good writer. She really makes it apparent that these red flags, uh, they could be easy to miss if you are not looking for them. We're on the outside of this. Uh, this woman is basically just trying to play out this fantasy, so she may not be aware of these things, but by God, we certainly are. And we're really, really shouting at the page for her to get the hell out of this situation but it gets deeper and deeper. And speaking of red flags, after they do the deed, after they have sex for the first time, uh, they're laying in bed and she looks over at the clock radio on the, on the table next to his bed and she sees a shotgun cartridge and she picks it up and she's like, well, what's this? And his answer is really quite uh, disturbing. <laughs> he says, oh, that that's a present for somebody. Ooh, okay. <laughs> now to me, I would get up and, and I'd be on my way, but, uh, she kind of plays it off and, and laughs and, and he laughs about it too. And, uh, and they get up and eventually they have dinner after their, after their tryst. And the conversation, interestingly enough, turns to the subject of hell. And that's kind of the heart of this story. It's, it's a real kind of a, a hardcore left turn as you're reading this story. You're, you've got that weird thing about the shotgun shell. Um, and then all of a sudden talk turned to hell. Why? <laughs> what, what is going on? And the subject specifically is that uh, based on the idea that hell is personal, that everybody has a personal version of hell. It's the thing that each person is most terrified of or would hate the most. That's what hell is for that person. So obviously each one of these people is going to have a different version of hell. And she describes hers first and hers is hell would be unbearably cold, uh, a place that's absolutely frozen uh, and nothing else happens. It's this place of complete stasis, uh, just absolutely cold, lifeless, nothing happening, but the devil just looking at you as you freeze for eternity. Now, <laughs> the, the analyst in me has to pause here and 
pull out my my previous reading, and I hope that a few of you have done a little bit of your literary homework too. If you have heard what I just said and think, oh, she must have read her Dante, that's exactly what I thought. Uh, those of you who are unfamiliar with Dante's Inferno, the first part of the uh, Divine Comedy is where uh, Dante is being led through hell by Virgil, and every layer of hell, or every ring of hell, it's this huge cone, the, uh, this inverted cone that kind of goes down into the earth, uh, and each circle gets smaller because each circle has fewer of that type of sin, and the top circle are the largest because those are kind of the more general sins, the sins of the body, lust, gluttony, things of this nature, and as you go down, you get more intentional sins things that you have to kind of work at to be an evil person. In the very bottom, uh, the worst circle is the frozen lake of Cocytus. And you would think that the, the worst thing in hell would be maybe the hottest burning thing, but it's actually not. It's cold because cold is the absolute absence of life. There's not even any molecules bouncing off of each other. It is deathly cold. And Satan himself, Lucifer, is frozen in the ice of the Lake of Cocytus. And that lowest level is reserved for betrayers, for people who betray others. And it is notable that this woman is betraying her husband on this trip. So her version of hell uh, kind of coincides with exactly what she is doing here with this random person. So it's it's really, really interesting. And, and she doesn't beat you about the head with it. Uh, it's perfectly fine to read this story and not have that knowledge in there, but it's so much more delicious to have that knowledge. It's, a, it's an extra layer upon this story. So that would be her version of hell is just being frozen, being stuck and frozen forever. And his version of hell is that hell would be deserted, that not even the devil would be there. He would be absolutely alone. Now, again, that's a huge red flag for me. The, the idea that the concept of being alone is something that he can absolutely not handle. So it's it's really really interesting. So they both have these versions of hell that they're they're really terrified with, and of course they uh, they talk a little bit. Well, do you even believe in hell? No, of course I don't believe in hell, and so on and so forth. And uh, she asks him a little bit more about his his apartment, which seems a little spare. Uh, it seems like it's not very well kept up. Uh, says, do you have any neighbors? And she says, he says, you know, there's this old lady, uh, and she's deaf as a coot. She doesn't hear anything. She kind of sings off. Uh, by herself and everything. And, and as they kind of cuddle for the, for the rest of the, the evening, uh, he specifically whispers, I'll miss you when you go. Alarm bells. <laughs> this is not great. So he, she wakes up the next day early and kind of does the run, uh, kind of gets her stuff together, leaves very quietly, doesn't wake him up and uh, goes back to the hotel, her hotel and calls her husband, uh, asks how the kids are and all this kind of stuff and prepares to go home starts packing up her stuff. And then all of a sudden he's there behind her at her hotel room saying, you did not say goodbye when you left. I, I know it's, it's kind of the mantra for this, uh, for the short story, a huge, huge red flag, huge, huge <laughs> alarm bell. But instead of 
calling the police (laughs) or instead of running in fear, the woman almost kind of seems to have this attitude of, well, I kind of brought this on myself. I, I ingratiated myself in with this person and I did, I I pulled the run on him. So uh, I need to be a little bit gracious and uh, agrees to, you know, have lunch with him. And the conversation is a little bit heavier during this uh, meeting up with this guy mentions that he was married once that his wife left him and said that you wouldn't last a year without me. Uh, boy, was she wrong? I've, I've been surviving, but again, this is, this is a, a nervous kind of uh, thing to be talking about. And then ask, have you already checked out? And she says, yes, I don't have any other place to stay. I need to get to the airport. And he says, well, uh, come to my place. I'll call you a taxi. Obviously she should say no, but she kind of uh, feels honor bound to say, sure, why not? One more, one more thing and uh, gets to the apartment and they, they eat a little bit. And then of course things start to get amorous again. And the mood this time is much weirder. (laughs) Obviously she's not terribly in the mood for this, but she feels that maybe she owes it to this person one more time before she heads off. But he is being very intense, very uh, slow moving about this, methodically taking pieces of her clothing off. And she starts to find it erotic, but she still finds it a little strange. And she finds it even stranger when he opens the drawer and takes out handcuffs. (laughs) handcuffs. <laughs> oh, oh boy. And she says, you know, you'll, you'll like this. Trust me. I'll get you to the airport on time. Just, I want to do, do this one thing. And she, I, I've got to say stupidly <laughs> goes along with this. Yes. So she allows him to bind her hands to the headboard. And of course there's, you know, more uh, kissing and so on and so forth. And then things take a really odd turn. He gets up all of a sudden having her handcuffed and naked in this bed and goes into the kitchen and fixes food. And she's like, Oh, okay. Something's very, very wrong here. And he comes back in with this tray of food and starts feeding her. And she's like, I, I don't want it. No, no, shh, shh, shh. go ahead and open your mouth. Eat, eat this. And she looks at the time and she's like, I'm going to be late. No, 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 d- don't worry about it. I've, I'll take care of this here. Drink this, drink this coffee. I'll get the, uh, the handcuff keys. And she drinks the coffee and immediately passes out. And when she wakes up, he's standing there. She's handcuffed to the bed. She's naked. She's gagged. One of her ankles is bound to the foot of the bed with another pair of handcuffs. And he is getting dressed and saying, I have to go to work. It's absolutely horrifying how, how helpless she is in this situation and even brings in like a basin in case she needs to go to the bathroom. And before he leaves, he looks back at her and he says, it's not what you think. Uh, I love you. Try, try to understand, try to understand where I'm coming from and then leaves the room and leaves the apartment and she is stuck there. It's so uncomfortable. Of course, it does remind me a little bit of Stephen King's book, Gerald's Game, uh, but it's almost creepier because we know he's going to come back at some point and God knows what's going to happen at that point. And what makes this ending all the creepier is that she starts to shiver because she finds out that he has left the windows open. And this is in the, in uh, the month of December and this cold air is starting to drift into the room and she's shivering and she's absolutely bone cold. And she's 
pounding on the floor with her free foot, but she remembers that the person who lives below him uh, is deaf, can't really hear anything, and he covered her up with his blanket before he left, but in her struggles, it slipped off, and there's no way for her to get back up on top of her, and she's just absolutely freezing, and she starts to realize that her version of hell has come true that it starts to snow outside and she's getting colder and colder. And she's thinking about the fact that her husband and her family will probably never see her again. And she thinks of Antarctica and the bodies of dead explorers. And then she thinks of hell and then eternity. And then that's the end of the story. I love this story. It's, it begins in such an interesting place with kind of this uh, not very savory adventure starting. This woman decides, I'm going to go have an affair. And then it just so suddenly takes this really dark turn. And where it ends up is just so uh, just deliciously creepy and bothersome. It's just wonderful. There's even this kind of uh, this feminist angle here. Uh, he gets to avoid his version of hell by forcing her into her version. It's, it's a really striking statement that gets made here. And Claire Keegan is just the absolute master of the understated story, uh, a story that on the surface is very, very direct, very, very almost simplistically written. But that is an illusion because there's so much depth in the things that she writes. So uh, as I said, this is probably the only story I can really get away with putting on a horror lit podcast. And even then, like I said, if she knew <laughs> this was on here, she'd probably get pretty miffed at me. But again, my wonderful mantra for this uh, for this podcast, she's never going to hear this. So it's it's my podcast. I get to make these decisions. Knowing that none of the other stories of hers really have this kind of dark bent, though there are some that that uh, you know kind of talk about some very serious subjects. I would urge you, I would almost beg you to go read everything of hers that you can. This uh, short story collection, Antarctica, is one of the best short story collections I've read in a number of years. She's also come out with two, I, I guess you can call them novellas. Each one is maybe about 60 or 70 pages. They're basically long short stories. One is called Small Things Like These, which is an absolutely excellent book. And the other one, Foster, is even better. Uh, Foster was my first five-star rating on thestorygraph.com uh, for this year. She's a wonderful writer, so please go do check her out. Not necessarily horror, though I, I categorize this short story as horror, but still some of the best writing you're going to run into. So go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this week's Short Shock. Next week, we're going to have a full episode, and we are going to return to the well of Shirley Jackson. We've visited twice with The Haunting of Hill House and her short story, The Lottery, and we are going to cover her absolutely wonderful novel, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Very short novel, so if you want to read it before we talk about it, please go do so. 
Thanks, of course, to Slaughterhouse for the use of his music. That's Slaughterhouse with a five instead of an S. You can find his work on Bandcamp. You can follow what I'm currently reading at thestorygraph.com, username Libris Leonis, L-I-B-R-I-S underscore L-E-O-N-I-S. You can go to gildedinblood.com and check out more episodes. You can check out my fiction. You can subscribe, like, uh, comment, all that good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, until next week, stay safe and stay spooked.